Those that did come were too interested in the Earl's excellent shooting, hunting, and fishing to pay much attention to the females of the house. At last, the house party stopped. It was the middle of winter, and a great silence lay over the frozen countryside. Frost rimmed the leaves of the evergreens in the drive, furred the shaggy grass of the lawn, and glittered on the long brown snakes of the ploughed fields. The sky was leaden, and the ornamental lake like polished steel. Wrapped in a long tweed coat, with her head covered by a repellent black felt hat, Annie was skirting the edge of the home wood, luxuriating in the peace and quiet. When she returned home, there would be no hearty guests to entertain. Mamma had even said that just for this one evening, they would not bother dressing for dinner. Annie liked being alone. She felt that she could drop the character that had been manufactured for her and dream in peace. Dream all those lovely romantic dreams of love and marriage. The house shone with a horrible newness against the soft folds of the Perthshire countryside. No Georgian would have recognized it, neo or not. It was a huge, sprawling edifice, with steep tiled roofs and huge bay windows, rather like shop windows on the ground floor. Little circular windows had been cut into the stone at random on the upper floors, no doubt to give the supposed Georgian effect. It was very cold. The deer nuzzled at bundles of hay on the grass. The sky was a uniform grey. The birds were silent. Thin columns of smoke rose from the chimneys straight up into the frosty air. Her boots left neat little pointed footprints on the whitened grass. Suddenly a great wind seemed to spring out of nowhere and set the landscape to dancing. Little frozen waves with miniature whitecaps raced across the surface of the lake. The deer tossed their heads and scampered for safety. A cloud of rooks rose from the trees and wheeled against the darkening sky. The branches of the trees above her head moaned and rattled in the wind, and then snow began to fall, hissing down on the hard ground, falling in tiny frozen pellets, whipping through the bushes and across the lawns, falling faster until the house was almost lost to her view. Annie huddled into her coat and began to hurry home. She could never enter the new house without a small feeling of shock. In the old castle, a huge open fire would have been blazing in the hall, but this new hall only had a small fire burning in a tiny grate under an enormous pilastered mantelpiece that looked like a piece of church, soaring in all its chilly mahogany glory to the ceiling, as if it had nothing to do with the little blaze at its feet. She gave her hat and coat to the butler and went into the drawing-room where the family gathered for their pre-dinner sherry. Marigold was pouting in a corner. Her mother and father were arranged in front of the fireplace, pseudo-Adam, as if posing for their portrait. Nanny Simpkins was snoring over her knitting in an easy chair by the window, and Miss Higgins, the governess, with her habitual look of an anxious rabbit, eyes and teeth protruding, was standing in the coldest corner of the cold room. 
and the drawing room was cold. The lower part of the walls were of deep blue glazed tiles, and the floor was of green and white marble. The architect had flattered the Earl by suggesting that his lordship's collection of souvenirs from his travels in the South Seas be displayed in glass cases in the drawing room. And so it was rather like sipping sherry in a museum. Sinister little carved gods with quite enormous phalluses stared out through the glass at the family. Marigold and Annie did not find these carvings in the least embarrassing, merely thinking that the gods of the South Seas were mysteriously endowed with an extra leg. The absence of guests made Annie realise anew how very silent her parents were. The Earl was a small, stout man with an enormous waxed moustache and a monocle in one eye. His sparse grey hair.